Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton lead. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day bubbling everywhere again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a recall as for Colin Day. It's been coming. Lots of gap and he goes through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. They've got it with Smith, they've got it with Smith, they've got a score with Smith, unbelievable. Great chance, they've won it, Ashton have won it. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Prem Talk brought to you from Matchday FM. My name is Chris Coughlin and I'm joined by Chris Stott for this episode. Uh, and we're going to switch it up a little bit in this episode for reasons that will become obvious. But first of all, I'll take you through the game week 28 results in the Premier League. Uh, on Friday night, Newcastle scored a 94th minute equaliser through Jamal Lascelles to claim a crucial point at home to Aston Villa. Uh, Leeds drew 0-0 with Chelsea, but it was an entertaining game to be fair. Both teams had their chances. Uh, it wasn't quite as entertaining at Selhurst Park later on, although Luka, Luka Milivojevic's penalty has all but secured Crystal Palace's safety for next season at the expense of West Brom as Palace won 1-0. Everton's poor home form continued later on in the day as they lost 2-1 at home to Burnley. Manchester City's seemingly effortless uh, march towards the Premier League title continued then with a 3-0 win at Fulham. Brighton claimed a brilliant and crucial three points. Uh, if we want to call it a South Coast derby against uh, Southampton, I'm sure people might, might take offence to that, but uh, what else are we going to call it? Leicester beat managerless Sheffield United 5-0, and of course we will come on to that topic very shortly. Arsenal claimed the bragging rights in North London, beating Spurs 2-1. Manchester United beat West Ham United 1-0, and then Liverpool claimed a 1-0 win at Molyneux against Wolves with Diogo Jota scoring the winner against his former club. But Stotty, of course, there I've just said that Sheffield United are managerless, and that's because Chris Wilder became the latest managerial casualty. There were rumours and reports around Friday night, and then it actually materialised on the Saturday night. Uh, the statement from Sheffield United read, uh, Sheffield United confirms that Chris Wilder has left the club by mutual consent. The board and Chris Wilder, who has managed the Blades, for more than 100 wins in his almost five years of Bramall Lane, made, made the decision following discussions. And Chris Wilder described it as being a very special journey. Of course, he supports Sheffield United and one that he will never forget. He joined the club back in 2016 and took them to the highest ever Premier League finish following two promotions from obviously League One to the Championship and the Championship to the Premier League. And he surpassed over 200 league games in charge as well. Uh, Stotty, what were your thoughts when you heard the rumours and then when it was confirmed on the Saturday night? I think usually when um, a side's bottom of the league and had the season they've had, you wouldn't be surprised to see their manager go. But I, it, this was different. I just felt as though what Chris Wilder had done for the club in recent times to get them, almost drag them from you know the depths of the football league um, to the heady heights of the best ever Premier League finish, I think is, is outstanding. And, and frankly, um, borderline impossible, really, how good, um, you know, the transformation had been, especially with the squad of players he's, he had. Yet, you know, any other manager would get sacked in, in the circumstances they're in. 
I think, well, I say sacked, they've parted on mutual consent. I would like to think it it is that, and Chris Wilder's gone, you know what, I can't do anything more here. Let somebody else have a go. But if that was the case, the timing's odd. I'd have expected him to be to the end of the season and then just gone, yeah, okay, cheers, boys. Ta-ra, all the best. But with the way it's happened, I, I, I think it's, it's more of a case he's jumped before he was pushed, which is a shame um, because he's done such an incredible job with a squad that, you know, no disrespect to them, it shouldn't be anywhere near the Premier League, but last season were exceptional in it. You could argue that it's it's a team that shouldn't really have pushed for promotion from the Championship, to be honest with you, never mind just being in the Premier League. Um, the Blades have 14 points from 28 games, and as you say, relegation is pretty much a certainty now. It's a matter of uh, when, not if. When you look at the majority of their results this season, you know, I know they lost... 5-0 against Leicester, but they haven't been blown away in that many games, isn't it? And I think that is that the is that the main frustration for Sheffield United because they've, they've been able to compete. I don't think there's any debate that they've been able to compete in games. It's just the lack of quality in the final third, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there with that last point. And um, yeah, I, I, I find it, you know, the irony of all ironies that, um, you know, they don't get smashed pretty much for the two seasons they've been in they've not been absolutely obliterated by by anybody they've had a you know a couple of comfortable defeats but they've always been sort of in the game if you know what I mean but this one they were just battered you know no two ways about it Leicester battered them and it was the first game without Wilder so, which speaks volumes of, about what he was able to instill in, in that group of players and he just seems like one of those managers where he'll get more out of a player than he probably should and that any other manager would. Um, and it makes you think we're, you know, without that sort of mentality that and belief that Wilder put into his players, this could have been the story of their first season, really. Do you think when the whole world, I mean, when when the whole world took a break effectively and obviously football last year, they were pushing for... European football had the incredible Bramall Lane atmosphere behind them. Are they one of the clubs? Because ultimately, it comes down to quality and whether they deserve to be in the Premier League or not next season. But are they one of the main victims of not having a crowd, do you think? I think they are the main victim. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we, we touched on the quality and potentially lack of it at Sheffield United. And you see, historically, when sides who come up into the Premier League who aren't necessarily a great team. They rely heavily on, on the support and Sheffield United, Bramall Lane at the best of times, even at the worst of times, is a very difficult place to go to when it's full because that's a great bunch of fans and you saw it straight away. As soon as the after Project Restart, the results dropped off massively. Yeah. Didn't they? I think they only got a handful of wins between then and the end of the season and it just goes to show how vital everything about going away to Sheffield United, they fed off the crowd, you know, it galvanised them. You've seen it before with, with teams that have, have come up as well. So with Blackpool, for example, they were a better side because they had fans behind them and everybody yeah. was like gunning for them because they were the massive underdogs. And that that's a, a big part of a promoted side. They took that away and ultimately it came down to, didn't it, who were the best football team. And on paper, we said from day one, really, didn't we? 
that on paper that they don't have as much quality as he's on West Brom, Fulham, Newcastle, etc. So that's ultimately where they've fallen short. They've lost one of the big things that made them what they were and drove them forward. And yeah, I think that has massively impacted um, their outcomes. They have had injury problems, haven't they? I mean, now everyone's injury problems seems to be the word this season, injuries. But like I so said, Jack O'Connell being injured, Sander Berg as well. You know, Jack O'Connell especially, you know, he, he um, Chris Wilder described him as being a, a bigger loss to Sheffield United than Virgil van Dijk is to Liverpool. And I, I think the way they play, I think that that's a very valid claim, to be honest. When, when you look at the game against Leicester City, I don't know whether you saw Billy Sharp post-match uh, interview with Sheffield United, and he said he'd never accused his teammates of uh, of giving up, but he, he was not pleased with their attitude at Leicester. And to be honest with you, Stotty, when when I uh, when I saw the game, just saw the way Sheffield United played. For me, that was the performance of a team that I've thrown in the towel. To be honest with you, now we we all know we all know that they're more than likely to go down. They probably know themselves that, but. That was the first time this season that I've seen Sheffield United. I, I I just didn't feel there was any heart in it. Yeah, and I think that does again come down to Wilder because I I think yeah he probably was telling those players until the second he left left the uh, the building that they were going to stay up. You know, he he seems like that sort of character believes wholeheartedly in his players, and I think when you don't have that influence around the dressing room all of a sudden, and you know. Like I said, they, he was the sort of manager that players probably wanted to play for as well because he was like your mate down pub or something, you know, as well. Yeah. He, he had that sort of vibe about him. Well, and... he, he goes, I mean, when he was talking about Jamie Vardy, I think it was the season or the season before, and he was he like, his mates were saying to him something like, oh, I could have done that. He's like, well, no, you couldn't because you didn't put the effort in. Jamie Vardy's put the effort in, which is saying a lot yeah. when, when a Sheffield Town manager is uh, bigging up a Sheffield Wednesday fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think that... You know, that motivational side. In all honesty, the players were probably gutted to see him go. And yeah. how often do you see that? Because, you know, usually when a manager leaves, it's because they've lost the dressing room and stuff like that. He definitely did not ever lose that dressing room. I think they were 100% behind him. And I think, not, and it's probably nothing against the the team that's coming now um, and taking over. They were just a bit deflated that Wilder's gone and it's going to, take her a while for them to adjust to not having him there. You're listening to Matchday FM. How crucial has Bruno Fernandes been? Because it, it, they've almost been, it, it, I think it's fair to say they've just been unrecognisable since he's come in. I think he's certainly jumped into the Premier League halfway through a season and certainly shown he can swim in that particular <laughs> in that metaphor. <laughs> Rather than sink. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We're still talking about football, aren't we? I know, no, but no. I meant the Olympics is next year, Tommy. Check out all of our podcasts so far on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And I did say there was going to be a switch up of topics uh, on this week's episode, and that's because the England squad has been announced for the upcoming international break. England will play San Marino, Albania, and Poland in their World Cup qualifiers later this month. Uh, the England squad is as follows. The goalkeepers are Dean Henderson, Sam Johnston and Nick Pope. And of course, John Pickford missing with his injury that he got picked or that he picked up 
in the weekend, defeat to Burnley. The defenders are Ben Chilwell, Connor Cody, Eric Dyer, Reese James, Harry Maguire, Tyro Mings, Luke Shaw, John Stones, Kieran Trippier, and Kyle Walker. Uh, the midfielders are Jude Bellingham, Brucia Dortmund, the 17-year-old, Phil Foden, Jesse Lingard, uh, who's on loan from Manchester United to West Ham, of course, uh, Mason Mount, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, and James Ward-Prowse. And the forwards are Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Bakayo Saka, who is classed as a forward, but can pretty much play anywhere, let's face it, uh, Raheem Sterling, and Ollie Watkins. It's uh, Johnston and Watkins' first time being called up for the England squad. Uh, but, Stotty, I think it's fair to say that the first... Uh, discussion point here is a man that's not on that list uh, and that is Trent Alexander-Arnold who's been left out of the England squad. Plenty of calling it a big call. Uh, Gareth Southgate seems to be indicating with his comments that he's been left out on form not because of injury. Uh, he said that he hasn't performed to the standards that he's set in the last few years but said he is still a very big part of England's future. What was your initial reaction to seeing no Trent Alexander-Arnold in the squad? Partly surprised, but then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I think it's actually a good call. What? Why should you pick a player based on what he did last season? You should pick a player on the here and now because ultimately, it's all well and good saying he was brilliant last season, but if he's not performing now, there's no guarantee he'll perform against Poland. You know, coming up against a very top side, you know, we've got the likes of Lewandowski. There's just no point picking an out-of-form player because... When it gets to the Euros, again, you pick you for me, you pick your your players in form and then, you know, if they're at, and that could be whether they're in form for England or club. Alexander Arnold hasn't quite hit the heights as is does usually with Liverpool for England. Would, and obviously this season he hasn't done it for Liverpool either. So would you say this is more down to you know twice twice in a row he broke the record for the amount of assists from a from a Premier League defender? Would you say it's down to the decrease in his attacking output this season or this continued perception about his poor defensive qualities? Possibly a bit of both, but how many fullbacks can defend these days, really? Probably Aaron Wambasaka is talking about <laughs> yeah. for his defensive yeah. ability and he still makes um, a lot of defensive errors. So I think it, it is a difficult one with Trent just because of the fact we know he is on his day probably the best right back in the world and I think that's a, a, a fair comment to make but his standards have been so off that this season how many games have we seen it where he's given the ball away more times than any other player etc was, was it Southampton um the one nil defeat turn of the year at 38 times he gave the ball away mm. that, that's not good enough that's just not good enough whoever you are you know I, I you'd say the same if it was David Beckham in his heyday you don't pick a player who can't even make a pass to his own teammate. And especially in the right-back position, you have to be absolutely bang on because there's so many good, talented oh, yeah. it's, fullbacks. It's the most saturated position in the England squad, isn't it? Yeah, same as like you're attacking midfielders, isn't it? If you're not on it, you're going to lose out. You, you know, in here, we've got um, Reese James, Kieran Trippier, Kyle Walker. I mean, Kyle Walker's the only one for me, but I'm, I think he probably should be phased out. Kim Trippier, he's doing it for Athletic Madrid and he's there for his defensive qualities and set pieces and consistently brilliant for England. No two ways about it. Even though Aaron Wambasaka hasn't been able to break into that um, th that squad because we have three... I mean, 
I just criticised Kyle Walker there, but he's still a top-class right back, really, you know, whichever way you look at it. So there's five. There's five to choose from, and you can only play one of them, really. And, you know, Trippier's played left-back a lot for England. Walker's yeah. played in a back three. I was I was just so, about to say about Walker in a back three. If Gareth Southgate even thinks about playing a back three against San Marino, <laughs> I'm sorry. I might, just, uh, I might just have to switch off the TV, to be honest with you. That just came into my head. <laughs> You could play a sweeper with everybody else. You could play us against for... San Marino. Where's, Honestly, our Where's our call? Yeah, why not? I think we'll give it <laughs> give it a good go. The, the one thing I will say in Trent's defence, because he has he did play well against Leipzig, he did play well against uh, against Wolves, and possibly that kind of comes into the fact that Fabinho is now playing in midfield again, which might mean that Trent's, as I say, perception of, of lack of defensive qualities doesn't matter as much as it has at times this season. But then you look at some of the players that are included. Eric Dyer has been on the bench for four of Tottenham's last five games. The only two games that he has started in the last month or so have been Europa League games. Mm-hmm. And he's in ahead of Michael Keane, who has performed yeah. brilliantly for Everton. That that was that was one of the ones that stuck out for me. With all due respect to Reese James, again, brilliant player isn't necessarily fair choice under Thomas Tuchel, but I think he will mm. I think he will make that right wing back slot his own because Kalman is not a right wing back. And the mm. only other one that I can kind of think of, but is is Ben Sherwell, because we know now he is not nailed on under Thomas Tuchel. But I suppose the only other option then is Aaron Cresswell. And it's whether Aaron Cresswell's age, he's nearly 30. Gareth Southgate wants And he's been playing his back three. So it's whether Gareth Southgate wants to integrate an older player into the into the squad. I mean, you know, it, it, there's different ways to look at it, and but I think Eric Dyer certainly is the one that point out to me. Yeah, I, I think with I think with Dyer, this probably goes against the point I made a couple of minutes ago. But within a squad, you still also need some players you trust and you know perform for England. You see, in the Eric, experience, shall we say? Yeah, I think Eric Dyer really. I would probably say he's played better for England than he has for anybody with any of his clubs. He was one of the few against Colombia. I think he, you, you go further back. I think he was one of the few players who came out of Euro 2016 with a bit mm. of credit, if yeah. I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think he is a player that Gareth absolutely trusts. And that is crucial. You mentioned it when we were speaking um, earlier, when we were planning this, that I'm not sure whether Gareth totally trusts Trent and I whether he's a bit in there. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's going against him. But correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when Trent has played for England, apart from when he, I think he scored, didn't he, against the USA, but most of the time he tends to play as a right wing back for England. Yeah, because... I don't think he can play right wing back. I just think he's too ingrained to playing a right back for, for Liverpool in that system. Because even when he has been available, he hasn't necessarily started all the time either. I'd, I'd, I'd say that... Gareth's most Gareth's most trusted right back slash right wing back is Kieran Trippier. I I, I, mean, I I think that's common knowledge. I don't know if there's any argument about that, you know. And you you can look at that and go, he's playing for top European club, and he's done it for England regularly. If Trippier started at the Euros for me, I I won't have too many issues about that. But you'd imagine Trent would probably come in for the World Cup the following year. Ultimately, Trent's got time on his side, you know, and. It might be a good thing for him to gives him, you know, kick up the backside for the Euros now. To you know, it's almost saying to him, go and perform for Liverpool now, and you get back in that England team. 
simple as. And Klopp will probably use that as well for for Liverpool's benefit. Do you remember where you were for Trippier's goal against Croatia? I do. I I was sat in front room, and uh, I was late in from work, and which annoyed me no end. <laughs> I had my tea tea on my lap. <laughs> did well to make it. I I did I did I tell you what, I did even even more well to not have it go everywhere. <laughs> oh mental! I mean, yeah. I mean after that though, yeah, haunting haunting memories. I know. I, I was in um I was in a pub in Preston. Uh, we we were on the we were on the top floor. I was with uh, Louis. Uh, obviously Ben and Hater. You'll know from the uh, from listeners will know from the uh, the racing podcasts. And I, I was on the top floor of the pub, and I thought the I thought the floor was going to cave in <laughs> when Trippier <laughs> scored. I thought I thought it was absolutely going to cave in, but uh, thankfully it didn't. Of course, of course, the, the rest of the night. <laughs> Don't really want to uh, reflect too much on. Um, we'll have a look now at some of the recalled players and some of the, the new people in the squad. I think we'll fo- we'll focus on the on the new uh, players in particular. Uh, West Brom goalkeeper Sam Johnston and Aston Villa striker Ollie Watkins. Johnston's had. A tough season. There's no two ways about it. I think he's he's top three in the league for most saves uh, made. There was a bit of discussion about Carl Darlow as well, but Gareth Southgate said that Darlow was dropped out of the team just at the wrong time. But yeah, I suppose because in the absence of Jordan Pickford, there's no harm in choosing Johnston, isn't it? it gives him the international experience. And let, let's face it, Johnston won't be expecting to make the Euro squad if Jordan Pickford is available. Mm. But nevertheless, it. It's good experience, and I think if anything, it kind of opens the door a bit for either Dean Henderson or Nick Pope to stake a claim, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's the the main point to take from these three qualifiers is one of those two has a massive, massive opportunity to to become number one. It will be interesting to see who Gareth goes for in certain games. I'd imagine. I mean, to be fair, who's to say he won't play a goalkeeper in every game? Um, you know, I could go and go for the San Marino game and probably, you know, not even dirty my gloves. You're thinking Johnson, Johnston, San Marino, Pope, Albania, Henderson, Poland kind of thing. That's the that's the big one. Who I think whoever plays against Poland is yeah. the one Gareth thinks is going to be the main challenger to Pickford. It's it's a tough one in in that respect. Quick point on on Johnston though. I think if he, if Johnston was playing for a better team. Than West Brom, I think he would be in better contention because I I think he's a very good goalkeeper, shot stopping wise. I think he's he's up there. We don't get to see much of his distribution because West Brom is a case of get it in your hands and boot it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, he was at he was at United, um, and he's a very good goalkeeper. Probably he would be second or third choice in any other era, you know, <laughs> yeah. which is the big boot. We're blessed with some good goalkeepers right now. And it will be interesting to see um, who Gareth goes with for the Poland game. I would probably stick my neck out and say Henderson, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Pope. <laughs> I would agree because Dean Henderson now, obviously De Gea's missed the last few games because his, his wife's given birth and he's, he's gone to Spain and uh, he, you know, he's back, uh, due back imminently. But Henderson has... Huge opportunity at club level, certainly, doesn't he? Because you know, you'll know yourself, Stoy. There have been doubts over De Gea in the last few years or so, and this is the first goal. I know, I know Romero. Look, he's an Argentine international. He has, he has done very well for United when called upon, 
But if you're looking at someone who genuinely has a future at Manchester United, as Dean Henderson wants, he's a Manchester United fan, wants to be Man United number one, this is his opportunity to stake his claim at United, which will inevitably help his cause for England. Yeah, it's, you know, absolutely. It's, you would probably say that it's a massive month for, for Dean Henderson from the point in which he first got into the uh, United team with De Gea's absence. And, you know, probably after the international break, depending on which games he's played in it, and whether he's then picked again ahead of De Gea or not um, for United, will probably determine, you know, whether he is going to be number one for both. Um, so it is very interesting um, to see how it pans out for, for Dean Henderson. Again, another player with time on his side and the fact that he's competing for both number ones and, you know, he's on the cusp of being them is only only a good thing. You know, he's going to strive to want to get better to ensure that he is number one for both. So that's good news for both Man United and England. As you say, playing for United, I think he'll have a chance to improve his distribution, won't he? And I think that's, that's the one thing against Nick Pope, isn't it? We all know how good a shot stopper Nick Pope is, but if Gareth Southgate wants someone who's a bit more savvy with his feet, mm. then that probably plays against Nick Pope, doesn't it? Yeah. But again, saying that he hasn't, he hasn't had the best, you know, hasn't had the best run of games, Nick Pope. He, there have been a yeah. few little errors creeping into his game. Yeah. And I think with Pope, again, he's probably another one. We don't get to see much of his distribution because of the yeah. club he's playing for. It would be interesting to see him play for a more established side who play from the back a bit more you know say he went to Spurs that's an option um and you know we'll we'll be interested to see um what happens with him and his future going forward for 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 club but yeah I think shot stopping wise I would probably put him in the top four or five keepers in the league it's the other aspects we're still not entirely clear on but when he plays for England we might see a bit more of that because England will like to play and up the other end of the pitch, Ollie Watkins has been called into the England squad for the first time. What a rise for the lad. It started, well, in the EFL, started Exeter City, went to Brentford for a million pounds, then got a mega money move to Aston Villa in the summer, 28 million. He's got a hat-trick against the, the champions, Liverpool, has constantly been one of Aston Villa's biggest threats all season. We said earlier, whether it was Bamford, whether it was Watkins, might have been a bit of a flip of the coin from from uh, Gareth Southgate, but there's no doubting that Watkins deserves his opportunity, is there? Absolutely deserves it. Um, worked so hard for it. Um, like I say, he's, he's come through the leagues and he's cutting the mustard in, in the Premier League and scoring goals for a, a decent side, um, and but not a top side, if you know what I mean. And you know, he's further consistent in his ability to influence a game. You know, he's always having a chance. He's always having a shot on goal. He works incredibly hard as well. And he provides an option that's a little bit different. You know, I think the beauty of England is we've got strikers, just looking at the list in front of me now, they're all very different. Harry Kane, for me, complete striker. Um, but apart from not being overly quick, Marcus Rashford has that pace, has the quality as well. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, again, not overly quick, but quick enough, very good in the air. Ollie Watkins is the one that loves to press, loves to run in behind. Bit of everything. It, you know, he's very similar in some ways to Jamie Vardy in the, in the fact that 
he's the leader of the press. He loves to get in behind. And he's usually very clinical in front of goal. It took him a while to sort of get going. He missed more than he scored at one point. But the more games he's playing at the top level, the more he's scoring goals. And the fact that, you know, double figures, I think he's up, he's up to now, is it? Yeah, he's up, he got um, 12 for, for Aston Villa. 12 in the Premier League your first season. And we've still got best part of 10 games to go. You know, he'll probably finish 15, 16 goals. You know, yeah. that's just under one every two games in the Premier League in first season. That's that's an outstanding record in anybody's book. You look, you took the words out of my mouth, the Jamie Vardy comparison. I think he is one of them because you feel even when he's not the most involved in a game, you will get an opportunity. And even even say, for example, you were saying, you know, we were saying Johnston, San Marino, Nick Pope, Albania, Dean Henderson, Poland. It's one of them where we can very much see Gareth Southgate going, right, you start against San Marino, bag a few, show me what you can do with your finishing. Exactly. And I think with the games coming so quickly together as well, it gives that opportunity because we've seen it in the past where England sent first team to San Marino and it's just been pointless. It's just a training game. You may as well give these players caps, give them minutes, give them opportunities to get the ball in the net. This squad has options, isn't it? And I think that's one of the biggest things mm. compared to, to recent seasons. And um, Watkins, look, for Aston Villa, Aston Villa as a whole, when Jack Grealish isn't playing, do suffer a bit, don't they? But I think mm. one, Watkins is one of the consistencies in that even without Grealish, he still plays the same way. He might not have the same uh, service to him, but his way of playing, he's still looking to get in behind. He's still looking to get on the end of opportunities. And that's something that can only impress Gareth Southgate, isn't it? Because you know, Jack Grealish, again, he's missing out on this squad because there are uncertainties over his fitness. And I think that's fine for both club and country in this scenario. Mm. But to have a player like Ollie Watkins who doesn't change his style of play depending on who he's playing against, that shows a confidence level that's required international football, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think reading through the the list again of players in this squad, you know, you're talking about the link up between Grealish and, and Watkins. There's other players in this team now that will love to play with somebody like Ollie Watkins who's just going to love to get in behind. Phil Foden, for example. James Ward-Prowse can play a pass from anywhere. Even, you know, if he wanted to go a 4-4-2 or a variation of the like. Harry Kane, dropping deep, playing a ball in behind for Ollie Watkins, similar to what Kane does for Son with Tottenham. That's something that you could look at. Granted, if you was to play a system like that, you would probably say it would be Kane and Rashford. But Watkins is going to be providing so many different options for England now. That, and again, if if we had an extra place, it, Bamford would probably get in there. Or if there was an injury to that forward line, Bamford comes in and again would add something a little bit different. So it, it's, it can only be, be good that somebody like Ollie Watkins has worked hard, shown quality and got his reward. And I think that is ultimately, that's what I quite like about this Southgate era is rewarding players for what they're doing for the clubs. And it acts all the way back to Trent Alexander-Arnold not performing for his club so he hasn't made the cut but a player like Ollie Watkins who is performing for his club who hasn't had a chance before has earned that chance and it's great that Gareth has recognised that and of course joining Watkins in the England squad are Jesse Lingard, Luke Shaw and John Stones who have all been recalled 
to the squad. Just looking through the quotes from Gareth Southgate here, he says, Jesse of the three is a bit more fortunate to be in, which is an interesting comment to make when you just included someone in England squad uh, having scored four goals uh, since making a move in January. But do you understand that, say, for example, with Madison out, with Grealish out, there, there was a bit more room for Lingard to come in maybe, and hey, he's, he's got an opportunity I think a lot of people really couldn't have seen a few months ago. Yeah, um, yeah, he, he is fortunate in the fact that more players are missing in that area that's allowed him to jump up the pecking order. And I think, but also, he's been absolutely brilliant for West Ham. Yeah, he's not really played for 12 months, but he's coming to West Ham and been the Jesse Lingard of old, where he's been lively, creative. And ultimately, it's the Jesse Lingard that we saw do so well for England. And again, it's that Central's point. still of, there. The right, yeah. the right young age. <laughs> oh man, that that's the worst phrase in football, young Jesse Lingard. But we saw it obviously in the World Cup. He had a really good World Cup, and again, Gareth knows his his qualities, and because he was playing and playing well over the last month or so, with that uh, sort of spot becoming available, he's been able to to include him, and you know it, it will. He will probably play against San Marino. Probably won't play against Poland, I'd imagine. But against the San Marino and Albania, he's you know he's got more than enough quality to break a side like that down. And he will. He's going to actually, weirdly enough, he's going to be one of the experienced heads. Played in a major tournament and played for big clubs. Um, there's not many that just glancing through this. There's a lot of players who didn't play at the last World Cup. Yeah. Um. So you know. He's he's one, you know. I look at Dyer, Maguire, uh, Trippier. Um, you know, but you'd probably say half of the squad hasn't played at a major tournament, so it's always good to have those players ar- around the group telling them their experiences as much as anything and leading by example. Just to say, as well, obviously, as far as the midfielders are concerned, um, Jude Bellingham might miss out just because of coronavirus uh, restrictions, which would mean that. He might have to quarantine before he goes back to Borussia Dortmund. Um, Luke Shaw and John Stones. Well, I mean, we we, we waxed lyrical about Luke Shaw last week, didn't we? Started about his performance in the Manchester derby. And I think we all saw a return to the England squad coming for him. A few months ago, the same absolutely could not be said about John Stones, really. I think a lot of people were thinking... Should he go out on loan for Manchester City? Should he think about leaving them? What's the next step for John Stones' career? What an answer he has given to the critics. At both ends of the pitch, to be honest with you. But is the biggest credit you can pay John Stones is that America Laporte is no longer a certainty in the Manchester City first eleven? Yeah, especially considering quality of Laporte. I know um, waxing lyrical previously about how good he was and he can't get a kick. (laughs) Which... Says a lot about Manchester City right now that you know that I think I've, I've seen it one day where um, the nine players on the bench probably could have won the league, yeah. like played with nine players on the bench against everywhere. Fulham. Oh my word, Sterling didn't Ridiculous. even make the squad against Fulham. Scary, isn't it, man? Um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest thing now you would say is for a long time it was always a case of who would play with Harry and Maguire. I think it's a case now of who plays with John Stones. I agree, I agree. Um, I mean, he's probably would be Stones and Maguire, which, you know, well, to be fair, why not go, you know, for, you know, I mean, you said earlier, don't play a back three against. I'm, I'm just remember we were saying about Eric Dyer, Esri Concer, 
I mean, Tyro Mings is in there, but um, you've yeah. got Michael Key and Nesby Conte who both played better than Eric, than Eric Dyer in the last few months. Yeah, to, to be fair, I mean, if you was to play a back three, for example, I think you go Stones, Maguire, Cody. Yeah. Um, if you play a back two, I think with the players you see there, I think you go Stones, Maguire. Because again, you know, they play together a lot for England and it's all, you've got to build those partnerships now. Fully expect John Stelton never drop out of an England squad again now, unless yeah. there's an injury. <laughs> because if he can maintain this level, we've got a proper centre half there. And he's got everything. He can play. He's quick, good in the air. And it will be him and, him and Maguire together. That's a great centre half partnership for me because Stones is everything that Maguire needs alongside him. I, I think, you know, John Stones been outstanding, fully deserves his recall. And if he can stay clear of injury, I don't think he misses England squads playing at this level. Now, if you're enjoying this, then why not check out our blog? You can find it on our website. Just search for Matchday FM. Okay, it's prediction time on Prem Talk. Uh, it's not just going to be Premier League predictions this week, but we'll we'll get onto that shortly. Uh, it's quite frankly a depleted Premier League schedule <laughs> this weekend, of course, due to the FA Cup quarterfinals. Uh, but we'll nevertheless go through the predictions. Uh, Fulham versus Leeds on the Friday night, and suppose quick question, Stotty. Fulham didn't really themselves any credit against Manchester City, did they? I mean, to be fair, did we expect? I, to I expected a better anything? fight. I expected a better fight. We expected a better fight, but yeah, but like against Liverpool, for example, I expected a bit more of a fight from Fulham. Yeah, yeah, I, I, but I think the way they have been playing, they was always going to throw out one bad performance, and if you're going to throw it a bad performance out, you may as well do it against the side you weren't expected to beat anyway. Um, you know, so ultimately. You know, they probably never anticipated getting anything from the game. So it's probably, yeah, the performance will disappoint them. But I don't think it's going to be um, too much of an issue for them. In terms of this game against Leeds, um, you know, just got the table up now um, because of the game we're going to come on to very shortly. This is a massive one. And again, Fulham's majority of Fulham's games now are going to fall into category of must win. This is one of them against the side that came up um, with them. Leeds will give you chances. Fulham get quite a, a decent amount of chances in, in a game and they've started to take a lot of them of late. I, I fancy them to, to get something um, and probably win the game. Um, I would probably go for a, a 2-1. I don't. I can see Leeds getting enough chances to, to score a goal, to be fair. But yeah, I, I, I think Fulham will win the game. It's interesting, isn't it? The Leeds have actually only got one win in the last six games. They, they, will, they will be fine. They will be fine. Yeah. I don't think anyone's really thinking that they'll they'll be any sort of relegation trouble. They might just take a result or two to get over the line, but they will be fine. Fulham, oof, I mean, if they win, they'll actually go out of the relegation zone, which again, we'll come on to very shortly. I'm going to go for a bit of a wild one. I'll go 2-2. I can see this being a bit of a mental game, to be honest with you. Then at 8 o'clock on Saturday, huge game. Huge game at the bottom. As Brighton host Newcastle. What are your thoughts on this one? I think... I've... With Brighton winning that game against Southampton, they could put themselves in a fantastic position here if they can get the whip, because that will put a bit of a cushion um, in place. 
and he would have won the two games uh, against sides in and around them. And I just don't see Newcastle winning many games of football. And I think the pressure is going to be on them more so than Brighton. Um, and Brighton will create chances. They've they always won two do. games since the 16th of December in the Premier League. Almiron yeah, might think... be back. But that's only that, one. That's of their, a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're just they're just missing too too many of their better players, and they're relying on being able to keep a clean sheet. That goal from Lascelles could be huge, though. I think if they'd Massive. have lost that, you know, if they'd have lost that, they'd have been only one point above Fulham, and you'd expect, and you know, get a fancy uh, Fulham to to crank that up by having that extra point is a little bit. You know, it, it doesn't seem massive, but with the game in hand as well, it, you know, gives them an opportunity. But you know what? I think Brighton win this. I think they pile the misery on Newcastle. I think Dubravka would have to have the game of his life to keep clean sheet here because you can expect Brighton to have millions of shots on goal. Um, and one of them's going to go through. I, I'm going to go 1-0 Brighton. It'll be, it'll be one of those tense, frenetic games, if you know what I mean. Plenty of chances, but not many goals. I think we'll refer to uh, Fulham versus Newcastle on the final day. I think we'll refer to that a few more times over the coming weeks. Uh, I'm going to go a bit more emphatic. I'm going to go 2-0 to Brighton. I think yeah, I, I totally agree. As I can see them piling the misery on uh, to Steve Bruce and co here. Uh, then 3 o'clock on Sunday, which is a bit of a strange kickoff time. I don't know how many 3 o'clocks on a Sunday. Uh, West Ham versus Arsenal at the London Stadium. Study. Um, West Ham obviously going really well. But that performance against United, I was so disappointed with them. You know, yeah, I I thought they'd give give United a go, but they set up exactly how they did in the FA Cup, and it didn't work again. Because United were great, and I thought were comfortable. Should have had more goals. Fabianski makes an unbelievable save to deny Greenwood at one point as well. So, yeah, they they really disappointed me. I don't think they'll be they'll play that way again all season. If I'm honest, I think that they'll realise they made mistakes in, in the way they set up there. And I think they'll attack Arsenal. And I, I think you can get at them. For Arsenal, it's a massive game because if they win, they put them right back in the mix for European football. You know, they're just looking, if we call seventh the last European place, um, which it could well be, they're five points off that. They got, they really need to to win the games against the sides of both. Then they, the seven behind West Ham can call that back down to four. Um, but yeah, I fancy West Ham to win. Um, I'm going to go 2-1. I am going to go the other way. I'm going to go 2-1 to Arsenal. I think uh, the conf- the conference, I've seen certainly some of their performances against Leicester and Tottenham recently. I think they'll have enough to uh, go at West Ham. As you say, I think a lot of it's down to the West Ham attitude because uh, I think that was part of the, the problem against Manchester United. And the final Premier League game this weekend is at 7.30 on Sunday, Aston Villa versus Tottenham. Yeah, I think it's a similar case of um, both are pushing to try and get in, into the old Europa League places. Villa um, have slightly fallen off the pace in recent weeks, coincided with um, with Grealish's absence um, as well. Um, Spurs have started to kick on again. Um, Bale's playing well. Kane's playing well as always but you just feel like they're not going to keep clean sheets against better sides and I can see both sides scoring um, and that's like nothing against Villa's defensive record I just think 
suppose his attack is as good as anybody's, just the, the other end that lets him down. Um, so I'm going to go Aston Villa to, no, you know what? Nah, draw, draw. I, I, can't, I don't see a lot, lot between them. Go, go 1-1. Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 to Spurs in the hope that Harry Kane actually returns as my captain for once, and that's only because I'm going to have about seven players this week, so someone's got to be captain. And uh, it'd be nice if we didn't hit the post in the last minute this time. I did say that, of course, we won't just be talking about the uh, Premier League fixtures uh, in terms of our predictions because this weekend as well of the FA Cup quarterfinals. And uh, Stotty, I'm going to throw them at you in the order that they're being played. And the first off is, uh, for the second time this episode, we'll use the phrase South Coast Derby as a Bournemouth host Southampton. What are you thinking for this one? The only non-Premier League team left in the Cups at Bournemouth. Yeah, they've had a, a good run um, at Bournemouth. Um having a good run in the championship. Yeah, uh, three, three wins in the last in five. As well. uh, very good win against Swansea, 3-0 um, in that game. And also, it's a massive opportunity for for either of these sides to make a semi-final, um, which they don't make very often. Um, I can't imagine Bournemouth have ever got to an FA Cup semi-final. Please correct me if I'm wrong, Bournemouth fans, but um, I don't have, I certainly not in our lifetime in anywhere near this. not, yeah. Yeah, Southampton, of course. Um, I've been to a League Cup final in recent years. Um, FA Cup finalists in 03, I believe, beaten by Arsenal. Um, FA Cup winners in 72, off the top of my head? Yes. Yeah, we'd be able to confirm they, that, but you know, they'd they, obviously yeah, won against United. Yeah, they've they, they won the trophy. So it's an opportunity for both. Um, and it's whoever seizes that opportunity that it's all about. And Southampton, at least... Is it a distraction from the from the league? Because obviously they're still not quite hundred percent safe, are they? So it will be interesting to see how they approach it. But I will go for a Southampton win by one goal to nil. Yeah, I'm going to go for Southampton as well because because Bournemouth's win against Swansea, I think they're focused. They're, it's just much more on getting back in the Premier League, isn't it? And I think we will even against Burnley, which they won the game, they rotated earlier in the competition. So I think we will see rotations here, but I think it'd be too much for them. And I think Saints will get through to the semi-finals. Everton versus Manchester City. Is this quite... Is, is this as simple as saying City and move on? No. No. I'm going to be bold. Ooh! Everton. I mean, this is what Everton should do. They should throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at this. Because this is an unbelievable opportunity to make a semi-final, potentially go and win a trophy, you know. Have, the of league, course, no, no trophy since 1995, which was the FA Cup. Yeah. You know, they're still, they're in a good position in the league. Um, you know, qualification for Europe is in their own hands. Why not just have a go at Man City here? Surely you want to be the team that knocks them out of, of a competition because otherwise they're going to win everything and nobody wants that. <laughs> um, so, and yeah, Everton, for me, Ancelotti's got to throw everything at this. He's, this. This is their big game of the season for me now. It will be. It will probably qualify as an upset because of how City are playing. But I could, I could see Everton if they approach in the right way. Do it. I'm going to back them. I'm going to go two one Everton. Just with the injuries, Everton, Decore out, Pickford out, and the home form. 
I don't know, I've said a few times, I don't really believe there are the home FA and away Cup. games. I know it's the <laughs> FA Cup. City will definitely make changes. Uh, Zach Seffen, for one, he's probably going to play, I think. There will be a bit of rotation. But does rotation ever matter for City? Just No. I... <laughs> so, I am I am going to back Manchester City here just because I, I, this would be a massive shock for me. And maybe massive is the wrong word because they're in the same division. Um, a bit but big, certainly. Everton, Everton gave City as good a game as they've had in recent months when City won 3-1 at Goodison. But I'm still going to back City here. Uh, for a, I'm going to go for the same score line. I'm going to go 3-1 to Manchester City. Uh, Chelsea versus Sheffield United. Oof, I mean, this is quite a scary prospect for Sheffield United, isn't it? Chelsea are very good at the moment. Yeah. Again, similar to, to Everton in the respect that they've got absolutely nothing to lose Sheffield United. Just throw everything yeah. at it. You Full know. strength, go for it. Exactly, go for it. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You're getting relegated. You know, you know, see if you can win the FA Cup. I think, again, they sort the of... The Yorkshire Wigan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Wilder's in charge, I'd have said, you know what, they could they could cause another big upset here, but no, nah, since Wilder's uh, departure, we can see nothing but Chelsea winning and winning comfortably 4-0. Yeah, it's good. I, yeah, I'll, I'll go 3-0. I'll be a little bit less, I'll be a little bit kinder on the blades, but uh, Chelsea just look too good at the moment. And of course, with a very impressive uh, aggregate win over Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. Mm. And the final quarterfinal is Leicester versus Manchester United, the King Power. Again, big opportunity for both to win a trophy here. Um, obviously, you know United's not made a final yet under under Solskjaer. A couple of semi-finals, um, big opportunity. First English team um, for in them the again. season to lose three semis last season, I think. So sorry, I just had to throw that in. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, I think this becomes bigger or smaller, whichever way you want to look at it, depending on. Obviously, we're recording this Thursday night just before United play AC Milan. Depending on the outcome of that result dictates how big this game is for United. If they have gone out of the Europa League, this becomes even bigger and a must win. They And I'm not just talking must win in terms of this game. Probably the FA Cup in general, I think, becomes a massive, massive target. Um, Leicester, they have a side that you just think have to capitalise on the growth that they've got right now. Similar to you know, we talked about Spurs never winning a trophy under Pochettino. I mean, that great side and not really being able to win the trophy, got to finals, didn't win them. This is an opportunity again for Leicester. Got knocked out by Chelsea in the competition last season, I think at the same stage. Big opportunity for them. But I'm going I'm to back United. I'm going to back them to win in extra time, though. I think it's going to be a tight game. I'm going to go 2-1 to Manchester United. That's a lot first difference of opinion on these quarterfinals. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to back the Foxes. I'm going to back the Foxes. Oh, they, ha- they have still got Madison and Barnes, which are big blows, but it'll be interesting to see what lineup they go with. I think that, that will kind of reflect whether they are more focused on not falling apart again in the battle for the top four. But there's that much good feeling at Leicester at the moment. I think Brendan Rodgers should try and carry it on and, and take them to, to the semifinals. I'll, I'll go 2-1 to the Foxes. You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. Why not let us know what you think? Get in touch by searching for Matchday FM on social media.
And we'll round off this episode uh, as we do each week with our weekly awards. Uh, so, Stotty, I'll start with player. Let, let's go. Who's your who's your player of the week in the Premier League? Hmm, this is a it's a tough one. Usually, somebody stands out. Oh, I'm only kidding, Ian Acher. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I thought you, you had you had me in the first half there. You had me in the first half. <laughs> uh, it's got to be. It's be it? it was it's fabulous. Be. Yeah. Great, great for him. And, you know, you were talking just, just previously about whether Leicester make any changes. They could play Vardy or Ian Acho for me. Ian Acho's in. He's scoring goals. Probably the best form he's been in for for Leicester. So, yeah, uh, Ian Acho. Yes, I'm going to go for Kelechi Ian Acho as well. Uh, next up, let's go... Let's go performance, your performance of the week. Probably Brighton, just because that was a massive game for them and they had to win it and did. And I think that takes a lot of character to get over the line and it's going to be massive for their mentality. I think if they'd have lost that, they'd have been in a really, really tough position. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to go for Brighton as my performance. Yeah, they they certainly deserved it, uh, Brighton. I'm going to go for Burnley for their win at Goodison Park. I know Everton haven't had the best form at Goodison this season, but nevertheless, Burnley, a brilliant away win. They won at Everton a few years ago as well, 1-0. But uh, for, a re- for a reason as well, I'm, I'm going to go straight on to manager because I'm giving my manager to, to Sean Dyche as well because I think every man and his dog expected Burnley to go to Everton, soak up pressure and go, if we'll take a point, we'll take a point. They took the game to Everton in a style that I haven't seen Burnley play for quite some time, to be honest with you. And it was a bit refreshing, to be honest with you, to see Burnley actually go go for a win away from home against a and team. And play football. Yeah, yeah. It was, they, they played football for once. Uh, two two good finishes as well, but uh, I'll give it to Sean Dyche for the, the complete flip in Burnley's attitude. Uh, what do you, who are you going for? Yeah, kind of disagree. Um, you know, Graham Potter would be another candidate for that. Um, Brendan Rodgers because they side won five nil. But yeah, I think Dyche with for the approach he took, he obviously saw an opportunity to go and play. Um, so you know, <laughs> he. You know, he obviously knew that I was going to say that Burnley don't play football early in this podcast, <laughs> but um, yeah, but usually they don't, and it was refreshing no. to see it, and it shows that they can. They do have good players. Um, so, yeah, um, Sean Dyche, a lot of credit to him. And, I, you know, it, it's a massive win in terms of the um, fight to stay in the league. And, I, I mean, I've said it before, Burnley to me, just you just feel as though they're going to get over the line. So, um, yeah. Sean Dyche gets the manager of the week. Absolutely. This might cause a bit of a debate, this, actually, because for me, there's two outstanding ones. Who have you gone for? What's your goal of the week? McNeil. It's the first time I've seen a Burnley player. It's the first time I've seen a Burnley player chop two players as Pearl one into top bin. I was banking on you saying the other one. Oh. (laughs) Because <laughs> I want to give it to Dwight McNeil. I thought you were going to say Eric Lamella. Oh. I mean, Lamella is also. But the thing is, right, I am going to be extremely harsh on Lamella here. The only reason I've not gone for him is because he scored a better Rabona. Yes. Uh, yeah. He wrote the league a couple of, uh, oh. Now, you know, I, I have to because I was going to go for McNeil because... I, I didn't get to watch the Spurs game. I only saw the second half of the Spurs game live, so I didn't I didn't see it. Didn't see the, the goal itself, uh, Lamella's goal live. Mm-hmm. I saw Dwight McNeil's live. 
And it was one of them where, again, he cuts inside. We've, we've debated Dwight McNeil a few times in this podcast, mm-hmm. but he cuts inside, opens his body up. And as the ball's in flight, you're like, whoa. And then for it to crash in off the bar, it's yeah, crazy, isn't it? I think skill level wise, he's, he's, as well. he's got a lot, it's got a lot of lot of skill elements. You know, he's beat he's beaten players to go and stick it in. I think ultimately Lamella's goal is a fabulous, fabulous goal. Um if I'm uber critical, it just like I said. It's not as good as his last one. Yeah. And I think he gets really, really lucky in the fact it goes through everybody's legs. It doesn't yeah. like it doesn't mean to stick it through his legs. It just happens to go through his legs. And it was it was a great goal, but an underwhelming one if you if you know what I mean. No, Meg nuts on Thomas Partey. So sweet. So sweet. <laughs> Stotty, thank you very much. That's a wrap for this week's Prem Talk. Of course, the the FA Cup games as well. They'll be uh, all over the weekend. And then it's the international break. So uh be very interesting to see how uh, it gets on the state of some squads after that. Hopefully everyone stays safe and uh, comes back and we can have a good end to the Premier League season before the Euros. Stotty, thank you very much. And uh, we'll, I'll let you head off and uh, get ready for AC Milan versus Manchester United. Hopefully it'll end up in a good outcome. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, for you, anyway, the rest of us, you know, we'll watch as neutrals slash AC Milan fans, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Uh, you can hear the rest of our podcasts uh, on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. And of course, check out our Match Day FM website where you'll find loads of great features on there as well. And until next time, goodbye.